Yo, Coomer, what's going on? What's up, buddy? You watching this? Oh, yeah, I'm watching this. Uh, I'm sitting here thinking, who? how bad is it to be a TCU fan right now? Like, who had it worse, TCU or Bearcats? It. I couldn't help but think about our experience in Dallas last year during the semifinals, obviously, but and then as the looking at the buildup for TCU against Georgia, TCU in the Big 12 currently feels a bit similar to the Bearcats in terms of storyline and in terms of being an underdog, in terms of people writing them off. The difference is they got to enjoy these 10 days of hype around making the national championship game. And and maybe the fans are talking themselves into having a chance against Georgia. I looked at it as a complete mismatch, but it does beg the question, would you rather be TCU today down 38-7 at halftime in the national championship? Or would you rather be the Cincinnati Bearcats a year ago making the college football playoff from the group of five and coming up short and never truly threatening Alabama? Who would you rather be? I think the answer is easy here. Sonny Dykes is at least taking shots downfield. And even when they're getting sacked, they're still attempting to take shots downfield. That, doesn't, getting an, sacked. that doesn't answer my question. Who would you no, rather I'm be? Saying, I'm saying I'd rather be TCU in a situation, taking out the fact that it's the, the, the college football playoff, simply because at least they are taking – they know how – the only way the chance they probably had to win this game was we got to go deep. We got to take our shots. I don't think – I don't think – I think that was the big thing with our game against Alabama. We never took those shots. We were so afraid. We just do check downs. We just did run up the middles. We just did, you know, humdrum, boring De- Mike Dembrock at offense. And or was it Gino Gadulli offense? Or Gino Gadulli offense. Either way, I, I'm glad. I still can't I'm believe glad. people wanted to hire. G- I can't believe people wanted to have Gino as the head coach. I can't believe that. Still, like I'm going through and looking at some of those those ugh, like. Hummer, as a so, fan base, the candidates, we were basically being tortured. We were basically being tortured as a fan base during that search. And I'm honestly, as long as the only take I'll hold against people for the rest of time is if you were anti Dion. If you were anti Dion, I will never let you forget that. Did if you see he, him on it to begin? Did you see him on on the? Uh, as I guess it's the college game day show. Did you see him on there? No, I didn't watch the coverage. No. Pat, <laughs> Pat just goes and. And basically says, hey, this is the smoothest talker I know. Right. And one day when you're down there, like like you'll you'll you know, hopefully you'll be down there. You know, what would you say to these guys in the locker room? He just says, guys, we're gonna do it our way. Like just, just this is what we do. And I'm just like, this is guys, he wasn't in my my thought is he wasn't even in the playoff to get asked to come. Luke Fickle was on that show because he was in the game before. Right. Deion Sanders got invited because he's Deion Sanders, <laughs> just because he's a personality. He gets free recruiting chops, free, free reign to speak to the youth of America about why you want to go to Boulder, Colorado, which is a cool. I've heard it's a cool town, but Boulder, Colorado. Meanwhile, we have Scott Satterfield. And we're getting hyped about the recruiters he's hiring. No, hang on. Hang on. You're getting every single take known to man off your chest. The point, (laughs) the key point with Dion, the key point with Dion is that he took over a one in 11 program and is now on national TV before the national championship game, the biggest showcase in college football, preaching the gospel of all things, coach prime, 
and in turn, all things Colorado football. And this was something we knew would happen. You heard the most in in touch, dialed in college football reporters talk about the fact that when you hire Deion Sanders, you are hiring someone that goes into living rooms across the country. He's not recruiting regionally. He's recruiting across the country. He's going into living rooms and he's recruiting with the same level of cachet as a Kirby Smart and as a Nick Saban. Those are his peers. And Kirby Smart and Nick Saban are the exact same guys that would get the type of opportunity that Dion got tonight in the national title game, which we saw Saban there too. Like this how many was, people did you, how many people did you hear say he wouldn't be a good fit? I mean, I don't understand what that even. What, means. What's he not a good fit for? Since I do we not win championships? Is that I, is that what it is? Championships don't fit at Cincinnati. I don't know what it means. We haven't had one in a really long time, so maybe they don't. Maybe they don't fit here. All that said, <laughs> TCU is losing thirty-eight to seven, and. We are recording this during the second half because we're done watching the game. I'm done watching the game. <laughs> I'm, I'm not done watching the game. I was warned not to do this, so I'm not going to do it. But there's some definitely some some money to be made because TCU is not slowing Georgia down. I, I'm just telling you, we're having a phone conversation here. I don't want to hear about your betting. I just don't. I I'm just, not going to tell you about it. All I'm saying is there's a lot of money to be made. I'm going to watch second half. Just like there was money to be made against Wichita. And you see, if you would have picked that game, minus two and a half, when we walk into Coke Arena and home away from home, warm fire going in the fireplace, sipping a glass of wine, enjoying the aroma off the top. Can you even can you even think back to Wichita and beating you know some team that's about 137th in Ken Bomb? Does that does that do anything for you? You're still reveling in that. You know, beating Wichita State is just always fun. It is always fun. It doesn't I, matter I, how bad they are. Well, I mean, we tweeted more about that game than we have any other because it is something special to tweak Wichita fans. I did notice, and, and best believe I noticed, we got retweeted um, talking about the fact that we have an ownership stake in Charles Coke Arena, and it was it was retweets from the can the <laughs> Kansas the uh, Wichita State fan base. I'm I'm assuming it was sort of a way to flag the tweet for later when they inevitably would. <laughs> upset you know one of the most mediocre cincinnati bearcat basketball teams in history no we didn't we didn't hear a peep from them later that night because we do in fact have an ownership stake in charles coke arena and uh, we need to have some plaques put up in the stadium so that you can remember these days that you spent with us in the american athletic conference it was special to us i hope it was special to you what conference did they come from before like do they regret are there teams who who regrets coming to the American the most? Oh, that's a good question. Who reg- us? <laughs> I mean, we were we were forced to come here, so obviously, yeah. obviously that's a that's a regret. Memphis. I'm to, I mean, the, the someone who's still stuck there probably. Yeah, you know what? Um, S- South Florida is a school. When you look at their trajectory. I'm assuming I'm going to ballpark 10 years ago and where they are now. It's pretty shocking what happened to their school and their programs while in the American athletic conference. So my, my money is on South Florida because it has been a disaster for them. They were a hotter commodity, a hotter name than central Florida as recently as eight, nine, 10 years ago. And they've just completely fallen off the map. They're not the school being considered for the big 12 they're not the school looking to be poached by any conference in, in expansion talks. 
and I, and I suspect that they, they rue the day that they got stuck in the American athletic conference. I'm, I'm honestly, I'm trying to feel like, I feel like temple has made some conference affiliation moves in, in their day. And I, I feel like maybe they're one that might regret being in the American, um, but they're also terrible too. I'm thinking, I think you're right with probably South Florida. Honestly, the biggest one I think was um, Tulane used to be in the SEC. Is that true? Or was it? Uh, yes, a long, long time ago. They're one of those schools that must have been kicked to the curb before when before kicking to the curb was frowned upon. Nobody really gets kicked out of conferences anymore. <laughs> no, doesn't happen. But either way, um, I think. What do you think? What do you think say about this, the though, Houston I, game? What was your feeling about the well, Houston game? That's what I was going to say. It, it feels like we're kind of procrastinating our conversation that we really need to have, which is the fact that the Cincinnati Bearcats played the Houston Cougars at home. This is, as Justin Williams said, the last, put in air quotes, Q1 home game opportunity that the Bearcats would have for the rest of the season. In hindsight, we probably don't really need to be talking about Q1, Q2, Q3 games. Um, we're not building a tournament resume. This season's not about building we, a tournament resume. We lost the temple. Season's over. It's not about it being over. I, there's still you're value right, You're right. It's season. not over, it, but... Tournament hopes are over. Tournament hopes are over before that, dude. It we, wasn't for me, man. It, it wasn't for me. I, you, <laughs> we did this Twitter spaces with you, with the Viva guys, Nick Bauer, uh, Brandon from Go Beer Cats. We did this Twitter spaces before conference play started. And it was when we we're on a semi high. You know, we took a nice gummy and finished the non conference schedule on a, a five and one stretch and thought, you know what? Hey, we just. We just beat the likes of Miami. We beat the likes of NJIT. We beat the likes of, you know, I can't even remember now who was on the schedule at the end of a non-conference play. LaSalle, Detroit LaSalle. Mercy. Right. And you guys. Might, this might have been after Tulane. This might have been after the Tulane victory. You know, we let us get high on Tulane. You guys came into this Twitter spaces talking about finishing conference play at like I mean, like losing two to three games. It's insanity. Yeah, and now I'm counting. Uh, I'm counting like a, four or five. I'm not looking at you. I'm not looking for you to overcompensate. This is classic Hummer. You're going to overcompensate. We're going to go 15 and five, and now we're actually going to go five and 15. Look, we're a 500 team in conference play. That's what the Bearcats appear to be. We went into this Houston game with a real opportunity to show some level of improvement, even if it's not sustainable, even if it's not something that could be sustained for 15 games, but just show us a level that you haven't hit before. Show us an opportunity, a home game against a top two, top one team in the country. And you're ready for them to come onto your home court, fifth third arena, one of the you know historically most tough, tough and difficult places to play and we're ready to show up and go toe-to-toe with them for 40 minutes. And the reality is, I guess some people are talking themselves into this being a better performance because we lost by 13. We were never in the game, okay? We, we got a 5 nothing lead. We were losing by double digits at halftime, if memory serves. You can you can fact-check me on that. And let the, the lead balloon to 20, and the most exciting moment in the second half was us cutting that lead in half to 10 points 
And from there, Houston took hold of the game again. We just were, we were never threatening them. And so these games continue to serve as measuring sticks. And I have a, I just have a hard time looking at it as a success. If you're trailing at home by 20, never a threat to win the game. And we're patting ourselves on the back because we lost by 13 and not 40. It's a super, super sad state of affairs for Bearcat basketball. That's how we're starting to talk as a fan base. Uh, I don't think we were losing by double digits at half. I'm just, yeah, I could be wrong, but I felt like double digits. <laughs> I, th- I think we were losing by seven. Okay. Maybe, maybe eight. Either way. Hang on. Can you not do math? Are you looking at a box score? What's the score? I don't know what I'm looking at. I'm looking at game flow. <laughs> game flow. <laughs> I'm all over the place. ESPN was freezing up on me. Well, yeah, you, no, it does, you talk we weren't about down. It. We weren't. We weren't dead. It was seven. It, okay. it was seven. Seven point uh, half time lead. Fair enough. Either way, like I'm in the car watching or not watching this. I was not watching and driving. Um, I was. I was. I was having the game cast open, glancing down, catching the score once while, and you know, at one point the lead did go to twenty. And I, was, and I just looked. I was like, yeah, that was expected. Right. And I kept expecting it to grow from there. And I'm not going to lie. I'm one of these kind of people right now has this weak ass take of just like, meh, whatever. This is, I expected this. It's weird that I'm at this place as a Bearcat fan going into a game against Houston where I'm just like, I don't think we have a shot in hell to win this. I'm expecting us to lose by 40. And I'm just like, whatever. At least we only lost by 12. Then I get more angry though, because I go back and I start looking at the other school. I'm like, I'm going back and just kind of already reminiscing on the season that's happened. And I'm just looking at like all the games that we've lost and I'll throw Northern Kentucky in here too. We weren't competitive for any of the game except for one. And that was the second half of Xavier. Like it's just and- atrocious. We were not in it with Arizona in any shape. That was all game that we were never in it. Ohio state trounced us. Xavier. These are only the only good teams we played. The other teams we played Chaminade. Cleveland, Eastern Kentucky, Northern Kentucky, who beat us, Northern New Jersey Institute of Technology, Bryant, Miami, Ohio, LaSalle, Detroit Mercy. That is a weak non-conference schedule where we're getting so hyped up about these wins and improvements that we're seeing in the team. Yeah, we're seeing improvements against the likes of teams like Thomas Moore, where you get hyped when you score 112 and then realize that when you play a real team that you score 60. We love bringing up Thomas Moore. That's one of our favorite go-tos. Also, Chaminade High School. <laughs> I, I agree, man. Look, the problem is we don't get very many opportunities to prove ourselves. And this season, it was limited to Maui, Xavier, and Houston, the two times we would play them. We got we went through Maui, and we just got smoked. We got smoked in Maui. We, we pulled off a victory against Louisville, one of the worst teams in the country, literally one of the worst teams in the country, where we were basically tied at halftime, Dominated them in the second half. Touche. Xavier, we come out flat-footed on our home court against our biggest rival, a team that has absolutely slapped us around on the court for going on 10 years now, pretty consistently. They come out on, on our home court and they punk us. And they go up, what, 17 at halftime? Like, that was that was an absurd performance. It was at least, yeah, 41-24 at halftime in that game. Bearcats admirably fight back. They have an opportunity to legitimately win that game thanks to... Incredible play by Odio Guama in the second half based on Wes Miller making the tough decision to not play Jeremiah Davenport many minutes 
And to have a more viable defensive lineup on the court for a majority of that second half. And also to a closing stretch from David DeJulius where he was out of his mind. We had a legitimate chance, but we largely blew that game by falling into a a 41-24 deficit at home. Now, here we are with our next opportunity to actually measure ourselves against one of the best teams in the country. Nobody's, I'm not delusional. It's a difficult, I'm not going to. My expectations are pretty low. You don't already, have to be delusional. It's a good squad. You want to like, see what we can do. Measure I want to see what we can do. Six. We're at home. Like at some point, we want to start expecting to win some games again. We want to see ourselves improve to the point that as a team, we can step up against the best and for one night be better than them. And this is another deflating loss where we didn't do that and we were never close. And now we get to watch the Bearcats go on to play the East Carolinas, SMUs, Tulsa's, and two lanes of the world. So, yes, there's still a reason to watch the season. There's still a reason to root for this team to start playing better. But largely, we see them playing the exact same style of basketball they have all year. We still we have the incredibly frustrating decision-making that's happening on the court. Jeremiah Davenport's the easy target. But we also see Daniel Skillings with some extremely erratic decision-making on the court. And he's young, and we're, we're going to forgive him. We're obviously going to look past his flaws because he's a young, athletic, exciting player who frankly plays his ass off. Like for all of for all the criticisms we have about Jeremiah, the real problem is he doesn't defend, doesn't rebound well, isn't a great passer, and it just seems apathetic on that side of the court. Daniel Skillings crashes the boards, takes pride in his rebounding, is a really bad defender right now, but when you're a freshman, we can we can let it go. So you can look past those things and he has some dribble drive potential. But all in all, I think my bigger issue is I get worried that what Daniel Skillings is showing on the court is a lack of discipline. Our biggest gripe about Jeremiah, but in particular Wes's coaching of Jeremiah, is an inability to establish any sort of discipline on the court. Could this be a recurring theme from West Miller teams? That's what I ask. The, the only, I don't know, the only thing I can come back to to say if there's hope, because I, I personally think Wes Miller is on the verge of losing the benefit of the doubt if he hasn't. I think I guess for me, he's already lost benefit of the doubt. It's now gone. Next year is getting into, you have the recruiting class that he's brought in. So he has two freshmen, he's gonna have two, or two sophomores, two freshmen. He's going to have a, a hopefully a really good Victor Locken, assuming he doesn't get pushed through to the NIL uh, tampering tampering mechanism because uh, we know he's going to get offers from from every single big school uh but at some point he's gonna have to hit on some transfer portal we're looking at this isn't going to be potentially good for till 2024 because you're you're expecting uh oh the recruiting you gotta let the recruiting take hold well the reality is he has two freshmen that are here this year next year those are freshmen and we don't know if any of them are going to be atari eason we don't know if anybody of them are going to be an incredibly valuable freshman that has the ability to alter the game in a major Just, way that makes them a one and done, two and done type player. Let me remind you though, Tari Eason wasn't the type of freshman that instantly makes your team dramatically yeah. better. Tari Eason was an yes. obvious prospect. Like Tari Eason was an obvious, wow, look at this guy. He's six eight. He fouls a lot. He's a little, you know, erratic. He wasn't was obvious you put him on the court. He was obvious you get him on the court. If, if he's, but his steal rate was crazy. His block rate was crazy. His defensing rate, his rebounding rates were crazy. It was an obvious, like, wow, this guy is doing some things that translate to the next level. Sure enough, fast forward a year and he's crushing it as a Houston Rocket in the NBA. 
like the, the point I'm really making though is I'm sitting there thinking is like, look at who we have on the court and they are mostly at times a John Brannon recruit or transfer, right? Like go back to the game against Temple and we had for the starting lineup on that game, four out of five guys were previously were brought to the school by John Brandon, Victor Locke and Davenport Adams was the Julius. And we all have this tendency where I, I still see a lot of the John Brandon type of play in this game. I think it has a lot to do with it's the style of, of players that he brought together, right? It was attempting to be high offensive uh, efficiency not they they weren't even though John Brand said defense he wasn't he wasn't teaching defense it wasn't ever installed properly but <laughs> I'm not sure if he used installed on purpose or not but that's funny <laughs> I did but whatever uh, my point being is like sometimes it might be hard to say that's the only thing where I'm going back to giving Miller the benefit of the doubt is that like the type of player but but these are athletes and they're I don't think these are bad basketball players and we actually do have the ability to score at times but they just seem to lack some of the fundamentals. And that's where coach, it comes down to coaching. They lack discipline. They lack consistency. To me, those are two of the biggest things. Like if you could just deliver consistent play, be it rebounding, be it effort, and especially defense, they're incredibly inconsistent on that end and give things up way too easily. And the thing I'll say about shot selection, and I'll speak about it broadly, is if you casually launch threes early in the shot clock. If you don't value your possessions on an individual basis, it's too casual. That doesn't win. This isn't, you know, we're not a team that can make up for wasting possessions with early in the shot clock heaves. And our coach tolerates it to put it, to put it bluntly. I'm okay with, with being more flexible in minutes and letting guys make mistakes. But at some point, his style of coaching is not teaching it out of them. The style of coaching where you're giving them the longer leash and where you're allowing them to make mistakes on the court is all fine and dandy if those state mistakes start reducing as time goes on. They're not reducing. They're not self-correcting. So try something else. We joke about it, but it's telling that against Xavier, down 17, Kenyon Martin, the goat, walks in the locker room, rips into them, lays into the team about how embarrassing that first half performance is, and they come out and they respond. Guess what? Tough love works sometimes. And so when people gripe about me wanting, you know, the fact that I'm pointing out that Wes Miller has co-signed Jeremiah Davenport's shot selection many times in post-game press conferences, many times. He has never begrudged what he's doing on the court. Him doing that is co-signing the decision-making. It is, it is positive reinforcement to what the shot selection is. And people saying, well, you can't drag your players in the public. You also don't need to support them. It doesn't need to be rousing support of horrible decisions. So I just, I want to see a tweak, you know, like we saw Jeremiah get moved to the bench. It hasn't made a change in terms of minutes distribution. Since moving to the bench, Jeremiah Davenport averages 27.5 minutes a game. It's too many. It's too many. He doesn't defend. The announcers, every single game, call it out now that the other team is going to come down the court, pick their matchup with Jeremiah, and attack him ruthlessly. And we see it game in, game out. We cannot be a very good defensive team or have a hope on that end if we keep doing the same things we're doing every single game. And so it's just it's frustrating to watch. 
It's frustrating to watch. I mean, like I said, it just it comes down to why why I think he's losing the benefit of the doubt. I'm starting to question whether he's actually a good coach, whether he has the ability to coach. Because I don't think I don't think this team. Look, is this is this roster here gonna gonna win national championships? No, but should they be able to be competitive for an entire game once against a top ten team? Yeah, I'm not saying win, be competitive. I'm just exactly Hummer. Exactly. I don't, it's it's not, not, I don't think this team is competitive at times. Nobody expects every game to be won, but what back when you go to that tournament we played in last year, and I'm forgetting the name of it, but we we went played Illinois and beat them. It was an incredible upset, knocked them off by 20. Kofi Coburn was making his his debut, and we just ran him off the court. Team defended. Illinois missed shots. They did get a lot of open threes, and they missed a lot of open threes, but they played well. They followed that up against a really tough Arkansas team and battled from start to finish, and we sort of looked at that those two games and said, you know, results be damned. This is promising. We have not seen that since that was November 21st and November 22nd of 2001. It has been a long damn time since we've seen back-to-back start-to-finish start to finish performances from this team. And, and folks, he got it out of the team that early in his tenure. He can get it out of them again, but he's just not. So there, there's clearly a disconnect. Rapid improvement is needed because I will remind people, the game we just played against Houston is the bar next season. That is the norm. That is hear, what we will be seeing game in, game out in the did, Big 12. Did you hear what uh, – I read this. I forget where I read it, but the Big 12 is on pace to beat the record for the most teams from a single conference percentage-wise to go to the NCAA tournament with about 70%. And there's a chance that every single Big 12 team makes it to the NCAA tournament this year. That is insane. That's where we're going, guys. And with with what how this play on the court has been, we will go undefeated. Sorry, we will go defeated in conference play. Defeated, hundred percent defeated in conference play because we haven't beat a single team that is probably tournament bound so far this year. There's nothing to hang our hats. And by on tournament year, bound, so I'm talking about like at large bid. I'm not or sorry, I'm not talking about like you, you know, you win your horizon league tournament. I'm just talking about like a team that actually earns their way by simply playing good throughout the year and and gets that that I guess it would be the at large bid. We haven't beat anybody like that. We haven't beat anybody in the top 60 in the net rankings. The Wichita State game, in my mind, was the best performance of the season. Pretty much start to finish. The referees were a shit show in the game. The Bearcats got, I think, three free throws the entire game, and that was the foul on David DeJulius heading into halftime on a three-point shot. They got no additional free throws. And so looking at that, still finishes a nine-point win. To me, that was a pretty comprehensive performance, and it was largely influenced by the fact that Mr. Davenport went on a complete heater, scored 22, went 8 of 12, 6 of 9. It's literally your best-case scenario for Jeremiah Davenport. The problem is, as the sample size has grown here this season, you know, he has the ultimate green light. He's shooting 33.3% from the field and he's shooting 30.8% from three. So you just, if those are the numbers, you just can't shoot so casually on offense. And Daniel Skillings is the same way with a 20% field goal percentage, sorry, 
uh, three-point percentage. I don't want to harp on it. I'm definitely sounding like a broken record. I'm as frustrated as you all are listening to me say this shit as, as, as uh, I see, I lost my train of thought there. I'm as frustrated saying this and sounding like a broken record. But you have to also realize that's because of the fact that I'm watching the same stuff over and over again every single game. I'm not sure what else there is to say. Here's, I, just don't here's, see the, I don't see the improvement that other people say they're seeing. I just don't see it. Right. I don't, I don't want it. We're getting stuck in like this in this circle of repeating ourselves. John Newman should come back soon. And John Newman does play the same position that you know roughly that that Jeremiah Davenport could play. If he starts eating into those minutes significantly and we're seeing it translate to legitimate results on the court, we have our explanation. We have something to cling on to. We have reason to hope. That's what all the talking points are right now from BCJ and elsewhere that John Newman is this, you know, savior of UC basketball and missing him is, is more important than, or as important as what Kenyon Martin was to that, that team in 2000, right? That nobody's really making that comparison, Hummer, but I'm just saying that like two, three games ago, I'm sitting here, Temple, my mom, like, who are you talking about? Who made this no. comparison? <laughs> I, it's, it's, I'm embellishing for the sake of the story, but the reality is if you hey. listen to the announcers, listen, if you listen to the announcers talk Nick from Van a few Axel. games ago, they talk about the fact that John Newman is is a huge missing piece. And I, I think he is that. he is to an extent. That's Wes Miller and the staff talking to those announcers about how important he is and, and kind of building in the excuse. I'm fine with it. John Newman is important, but he also was on the team last year. And the team last year had a lot of the same flaws that the team this year has. Yeah. I mean, it is what it is. What do you think about uh, the Tom Manning hiring? Oh, hard pivot, hard pivot. I've, I mean, it's unfair to go into one specific hire. Shouldn't we talk about the staff holistically? Do you want to talk about no. football? I mean, we're going to talk football, but I'm, I'm more more curious about your your particular take on Tom Manning, uh, given that I do believe I saw someone on Twitter say they, they basically tweeted to respond to you in order to save the tweet to come back when, when they want you to eat your words in like three to four years from now. Tom Manning gets people riled up on Twitter. I will say that now. Now, that's both ways. I sent what I felt was a fairly innocuous tweet when the news was leaked, and it was close to midnight. I, I want to say it was at earliest, like 10.30 p.m., and it was finally leaked, I think, by footballscoop.com that Tom Manning would be the next offensive did anybody coordinator. Get, did anybody lose their job because of that? Because of what? Leaking, maybe leaking something a little early. Well, we should we should get to that. Don't let's okay. not get sidetracked yet. We might want to get to that. It's been a while. Um, it's, I want to find not it. too soon. <laughs> so it comes out, you know, that it's Bruce Bruce Feldman sends out this message saying, "Source: Former Iowa State offensive coordinator Tom Manning is expected to become the new offensive coordinator at Cincinnati." Yada yada yada. All I said was for weeks, we convinced ourselves we must be waiting on someone coaching late into the bowl season to be our next head offensive coordinator. Iowa State, four and eight last season, parted ways with Tom Manning on December 2nd. So over a month later, we found our offensive coordinator who had been recently fired by one of the worst offenses. I'm, I'm sorry. It was actually the worst offense in the Big 12 last season in Iowa State. And so Tom Manning is the new offensive coordinator. 
I see people pointing to the fact that that prior seasons with uh, Brock Purdy and, and a more talented roster, their offense was not as bad. In fact, I think it was top four, top five in the Big 12 through his last few seasons. He was also apparently a Broyles nominee a few years ago. The reality is, Hummer, this Scott Satterfield was given the biggest assistant coaching pool salary pool in the history of Bearcats football. And Tom Manning is seemingly the showcase hire for his staff. How are we supposed to react to that? Is that, is that a success? I don't know. Is that a success? Here's the thing. Like when I'm looking at the, the assistants, I'm like, who do we expect to get? Like, what what big do we expect to go in and, and pull the offensive coordinator from Alabama, even though we have a, our, a very large coaching pool? Do we expect to go in and pull, you know, the Oklahoma State or the TCU off, offensive coordinator? You know, like I, I think we might have this grandiose vision of what UC football really is, what the job really is and how how big this job really is. Maybe, maybe. Pete Thamel is right in that this is not one of the best jobs in college football right now. Maybe there is a lot of right now. This is a, this is a, a program that has now gone through losses head coach, tremendous roster turnover. Maybe this isn't just where you just want to go to, to if you're at an ex- a successful program to, you know, I don't want to say, I guess reinvent yourself. Right. Maybe this is where you have to go and get someone who's going to actually reinvent themselves because Tom Manning was just let go. But I also think Iowa State, Matt Campbell, probably I think Matt Campbell would have been a worse hot take here. Matt Campbell would would have been a worse hire than Scott Satterfield. So I want you to get into that because right now we've been incredibly negative, but we're not all negative. I don't. and, and, And you in particular, when I was texting you about the Tom Manning thing, you seemed much less skeptical based simply on the fact that he was coaching under Matt Campbell. Yeah. Look at, all right. Matt Campbell is the the big man on campus, right? And he's been at Iowa state for seven years, seven years. His peak was 2020 at nine and three, right? He went eight and five, eight and five, seven and six, nine and three, seven and six, four and eight. Does that sound like someone that we would be happy with after seven years? I don't think so. I think UC fans would be screaming their heads off about calling for his firing after you had two seasons of lesser wins each year. We would not be happy. Hell, we booed players. We booed players. I think people would be happy with Matt Campbell. Like, I'm not saying Satterfield was this this, this amazing hire, but I, I just don't think Matt Campbell was the right guy. And I think you have – you know, Tom Manning, maybe being, maybe being limited by what Matt Campbell's limitations are. Maybe that Iowa state is maybe a similar job to Cincinnati. That's really not that great place to be in terms of, of college football glory. But I think this can, I think, I think Cincinnati can be an attractive job. I think that's what Cunningham has done with it. He took to heart what Luke Fickle's complaints were, which were one, Right, we. Uh, I think the biggest complaint I heard. I'm not going to go to all of them. I'm just going to go to the ones I know. Low coaching pool, right? Didn't have enough resources that he thought he needed to be successful, and was tired of having losing recruits essentially to NIL. Right. So combining those two things, starting the the NIL collective, 
giving you one of the top 15 largest coaching pools in the country. You're saying we are going to put the resources there, but this has to be built. That's the thing. It needs to be rebuilt. We just lost almost all of our offensive line. And one person basically shitting on Cincinnati on his way out because he's soft and can't handle uh, sirens from an ambulance near one of the premier hospitals in the country. Like very, on, really very That's your... strange take. Clifton style. No, Clifton here's the thing. Style. Though. Real quick, quick interjection. So this is Joe Huber, former offensive lineman for the Bearcats, taking his talents to Wisconsin and 24 seven in all its wisdom gives a platform, not only to the player, but to the father and to the family as well. And apparently the father goes on this, you know, rant. I can't, I can't read his tone, obviously, but essentially he talks about the fact that there's, um, have you seen Madison? You've seen Clifton. There's gun gunshots in Clifton. There's sirens in Clifton. And you'd go every night hearing, and then he corrects himself and stops himself and says, well, not necessarily gunshots, but you, you hear the sirens. That in itself is so misleading. And I hate the fact that you're planting the seed. Like Clifton is some incredibly unsafe town. That's got like gun wars going on left and right. There's hospitals, bro. There's hospitals. That's why you hear the ambulance. That's what you you hear. That sound you hear is is Darwin Hamlin. Sorry, Darwin. Is Demar- I was just about to say saving that 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 siren you're hearing is literally saving Demar Hamlin's uh, life. This podcast almost like didn't have to be edited at all, but I'm, I'm fuck it, staying in. That's 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 what you have. You have Children's Hospital. That literally developed a technique to perform surgery on an infant or sorry, on an unborn child's heart, on an unborn child's heart, right? To fix a genetic rare genetic disorder. So they can they can do the surgery from inside the womb. And you're complaining about sirens. Come on, bro. Come on, bro. Come at me. I live in New York City, man. I hear sirens trains crackheads all the time no but the thing is some people don't like that so some people don't like urban living some people don't like being in a city and that's perfectly fine but miss me with associating it with with massive gunfire like get right? out of here buddy and having to, and just, wanting to, just like dogging dogging it on your way out bro yeah, you're going to madison wisconsin all right you're going to the be careful i like madison i think madison's a nice slightly, town slightly worse program slightly better program than purdue Right. That's where you are in the totem pole of the Big Ten at Madison, Wisconsin. Slightly better than Purdue. So we're off on this diatribe. I, I do. And I still sure. don't think I still will question Luke Fickle and his actual coaching prowess. Because of some of the pl- types of plays we've seen and the lack of aggressiveness that we saw from him in big games. Hummer. Hummer. You were on record talking about building stout statues, about the fact that the man's cut from a different cloth, about the fact that he's the Bob Huggins of our football program. We thought that. And he, he we thought that. What do you mean we thought that? He was that. There's no, no he denying. Was, he wasn't. Basically, he was because he, the reason why you're the Bob Huggins is because you stay. You stay and you build your thing here. Bob Huggins <laughs> was thrown out of town. I Bob Huggins was kicked out. 
Okay. Luke Fickle was not kicked out. Realistically, that just he wasn't left. that wasn't gonna happen. It wasn't gonna happen. Now listen, he was here for an incredible he he built this program back up from the ashes beyond anything we've ever seen. We made a college football playoff. Right. I'm we not questioning American what he did for the university. I'm questioning some of the things he did in game. For instance, this season, sometimes it just seems like you were just so content on just wanting to be boring. Yeah, this season was pretty this the season left much to be desired. I get it, but it's also extremely weak to for everybody to start shitting on all of these coaches that were here that I heard hyped up a few short months ago. How great our, our think... talent was, how great our coaching staff was. How, the the how one great thing about a breakup. Now we're just gonna like to yeah. me. No, here's the thing. We're having if if you have to start keep talking about Luke Fickle and all of his warts, which were very few, if you have to keep doing that or crapping on former assistant coaches, if that's what we have to keep talking about instead of actually building up Scott Satterfield and the new regime just based on their merits, to me, it's an indictment on their merits. It's an indictment on their merits. We we aren't when comfortable you go talking breakup, about the new regime. When you go through a breakup... When you go through your first breakup with a girl, with the woman that you thought you loved, you thought you were going to marry her, right? You thought that you would be together forever and you go through a bitter, nasty divorce, which I've never done, but I can only imagine that you sit there and you don't think about all the good times you had. You think about how much you fucking hate that bitch. Hummer, that breakup <laughs> was in 2010, my guy. All right. And you've grown now. It's been 12 years of personal growth since then. Hey, Get people, over hate their, people hate their second wives too. <laughs> moving on man moving on <laughs> look am i excited about satterfield we've talked about it before satterfield to me is just like meh it's okay i'm, I'm gonna see what he can do i'm not gonna write him off right away and but i'm not gonna come out and, and say i think he's he's gonna be you know jesus walking on water uh he I, there's definitely opportunity there this program has a reputation it's been proven that you can recruit to it it's been proven that guys can win here so Let's go. And we're going into a great, well, a conference that can't keep up with the SEC in a, in a playoff game, but is, is definitely much better at football than the American. Um, so there's definitely an opportunity there. I'm, I'm not, I'm excited. I'm excited that the Bearcats are going to have the opportunity to compete at another level and that we're in a good spot to be competitive, hopefully right from the get-go. We got one of the best kickers apparently in the world. He did kick. He did kick a seventy yarder. Dude, I saw that. <laughs> a apparently, apparently, he didn't miss one last year. Right, he was hundred percent. I'm like, ooh, money Mac. Today, money. today, today got me excited about our kicker and our kick returner. I'm getting excited about a kicker because of how many games we Hummer, lost. I was elated. We couldn't kick. We I was elated kick. about our kicker last year. Getting him was, that made was a it, huge was it difference. the kicker or was maybe was it the holder? Was it the well, wait, was it the long snapper holder kicker trio that we that was really the yeah. issue? Did, you know what? Did we not go laces out? Now that you mention it, a lot of people gave Ryan Coe credit for turning our kicking program around, but I also remember that coinciding with Kerry Combs taking over as special teams <laughs> coach. And guess who Scott Satterfield retained? Kerry Combs. Combs, Combs. Nobody ever told me. I think they did. We just forgot already. We're not done on the staff topic yet so we mentioned the fact that it's the biggest pool in our history 
allow me to try and set this up a little bit and we'll, and we'll talk about it and, and then we'll close it down. What I've heard is that Scott Satterfield has directed a lot of his funds toward the recruiting staff, which includes Zach Grant, Caroline Tart, Jack Griffith, Cass Simmons, and Carter Wilson. By all accounts, these are highly regarded people coming from various backgrounds. You've got uh, New York Jets. You've got Ohio State. You've got a strength coach who was at Ohio State previously, um, not as their lead guy, but as an assistant, followed Brady Collins at his last couple stops. He's invested a lot of money on these behind-the-scenes folks, which apparently can make a big difference in recruiting. As a fan, outside looking in, this is incredibly difficult to evaluate. I honestly, this sounds like something that you, if you want to just tell us that this is where you're putting all your money and that it's going to make a big difference, I mean, I don't know. How do I rebut that? I thought in college football and in football and in general that coaching staffs made the biggest difference because I thought in recruiting right now, I thought what mattered less, sorry, I'm, I thought what mattered more in recruiting than anything else is Cincy Reigns and NIL funding and making sure that you have the dollars to go to war. I didn't necessarily, I don't know how to evaluate this recruiting staff that he's assembled, but by all accounts, it's impressive. I think so how do I, how, how do I, how do you I evaluate it? You ready? Just watch it play out because how many people out there truly like of our of our caliber fandom of anybody even the most diehard caliber fandom can truly say that you follow recruiting staffs around the country and know what each individual is is capable of without reading what some pundit has put out there about said individual in one article right we don't we don't I don't follow these guys until I hear that they're bringing them on board I'm like oh let's go read about this guy oh we hired a a, a uh, a GM. Great. That sounds awesome. What I, what I like about it. And I think how we can evaluate it is simply saying he's doing it different. He's being different than the guy before he's, he's doing something. He's building out this recruiting staff. He's building it. He's using a GM. He's using some of the resources that we have next. We got to see the results. That's how you evaluate it. Let's see what what plays out on the field. Hang on a second. The last guy had several of his recruiting aces, taken by Marcus Freeman to Notre Dame and Notre Dame has been absolutely crushing it on the recruiting front. So wasn't fickle paying attention to this? When I say he's doing it different, I'm talking about like the biggest thing is hiring the GM. Right. And, and that's, that's where I'm getting at is that that's something completely new for the school. And that's, that's where I'm saying like, it's a different direction that he seems to be taking. Luke fickle also, he's made it known that he was losing recruits and it happened to, he thought it was either our brand name or it was NIL, and he obviously thought he could do better at keeping these recruits the old way at Wisconsin with NIL. So Satterfield, hopefully, is you know using the resources, the extra resources being given to counteract those claims, to overcome those obstacles that Luke Fickle seemed to appear to say were, were mountains. I don't know. I think the way you evaluate it is, let's see what happens. Obviously. Obviously, we have to see what happens, but right no, that's now- That's the only way to do it. It's, that's the it's only way to January do it. 9th, and I want to talk about it. I want to talk about what we're seeing. I'm seeing a guy who's, who's taking his time, putting his staff together, hasn't made any rash, doesn't seem to be making rash decisions, and is still out there recruiting. He's still out there hitting the portal. He's getting the best kicker out there in the game. He's getting Imani Jones to transfer in. Yep. Right. Hitting up Arizona, the Arizona state pipeline, hitting up Arizona state. All I'm saying is you, you hear, you see he's out there recruiting. 
right? You're seeing guys commit. Everyone is doing that. Nobody is not recruiting right now. Perfect. Great. He's doing his job. It's the lowest fucking bar. <laughs> I don't know what else. That's what I'm saying. You're saying it's January 9th. What else do you want him to do? Uh, I don't. I, I hope he's I, watching I, the game folks, right now. Folks, we'll, we'll uh, pick the podcast back up in August when it's time to start watching camping games, because as far as I'm concerned, there's nothing to critique. Everything's fine here. Nothing to worry about whatsoever. What, what, I guess, what are you worried about that? What worries you about this? I'm worried about the fact that Scott Satterfield's results at Louisville were already underwhelming to begin with. This was not a guy that was lighting the world on fire. You can hang your hat on the fact that the defense did look good, quite good against an Evan Prater-led offense under a head coach of Kerry Coombs, which was clearly, we were we were a debilitated offense at that point. All of our talent had left the roster. Transfer Porter was flooded with Bearcat entries. Um, he's bringing a lot of his defensive staff, and the defense plays a very aggressive style. I like the fact that you're getting after the quarterback. I like the fact that you're sending pressure. So Brian Brown gets the stamp of approval for me. So you're bringing a guy, you know, you're also bringing Pete Thomas who had some serious success at Louisville developing quarterbacks. Scott Satterfield himself is an offensive mind. So apparently offensive coordinator becomes less important, but you're hiring Tom Manning who was fired by Iowa state. And again, you just can't talk me into that being an incredibly impressive hire. I just don't think there's anyone out there who's being honest with themselves who thinks, yeah, hell yeah, we got Tom Manning. Let's go. Nobody's sticking that. Outside of that, like it's it's a lot of Louisville guys. I just don't man. think I just don't I just don't think anybody's out there saying, except you. <laughs> oh man, can't believe we got freaking Tom Manning. I know. Yeah. I give you. I get. I, I did you did just justice on the accent there. I was trying to give a disgust. It came out super hillbilly. I apologize. No, I just don't think anybody's out there just like super upset with it. It's kind of like the Scott Satterfield hire itself. You're just like, meh. Right. And so See the whole happens. thing, the whole thing is meh. <laughs> I, I, yeah. The whole thing is meh. Everything's meh. Let's get see. a shirt that says that. <laughs> Bearcats athletics. Meh. <laughs>